We've been speaking with top economists to better understand what this economic climate means for companies' bottom lines. Today, I'm speaking with former Secretary of Labor, Robert Reich. Professor Reich, thanks so much for joining. Well, thank you for inviting me, Lindsay. As former Secretary of Labor, do you think that U.S. workers today are better off now than they were 30 years ago? Well, it's a very, very complicated question, Lindsay. Thank you for, for asking it. Uh, in terms of uh, inflation-adjusted pay, real wages, uh, the typical worker is a little bit better than he or she was 30 years ago, uh, but not very much better. That is, uh, if you look at productivity relative to wages, the gap continues to grow. Great. I'm glad you bring up productivity because that was our next question. U.S. productivity is on the decline year over year. Why is productivity growth slowing in the U.S.? I am one of the few who think that actually it's measured improperly. I think if you look at the actual value of output of Americans overall, again, it's very, very difficult with all of the intellectual property and the internet uh, to accurately compare one period to another period. Uh, I think we are enormously productive, much more productive than we were, more productive than the data show, because there's so many efficiency, uh, new efficiencies built into the production process that we don't see. So I would say overall, uh, American workers are substantially more productive than they were given their capacities uh, through technology, uh, but the, those capacities are not being reflected in their paychecks. Uh, and worker pay continues to be very, very sluggish, uh, even before the Fed started raising interest rates in an attempt to slow the economy. Sure, so one of those efficiencies could be AI. Can all workers benefit from the rise in AI technology, or is it just something that tech and media can benefit from? Well, we're all going to benefit to the extent that there are new uh, efficiencies. We can buy things cheaper. We can get AI embedded in all sort of gadgets. Uh, and therefore, uh, you know, our lives become just easier. On the other hand, uh, there will be a lot of casualties in terms of workers, not just the routine workers that were in the factories that got replaced by software over the last 30 years, but we're going to see more professional workers who are actually going to be losing their jobs because AI can do those jobs at least as well as they can and far more efficiently. And it's going to have tremendous social and political implications because a lot of those professional workers are used to doing fairly well. This isn't the working class anymore. We're now talking about the middle class of America and AI could very easily be taking over many of those jobs. That sort of leads directly into my next question. So how will AI change the employer-employee relationship? AI could change the employer-employee relationship dramatically uh, because right now today, depending upon how you measure it, uh, anywhere from 16 to 38 percent of American workers are independent contractors. AI is going to basically create a different kind of employment relationship because you know, if you have platforms as you do now, you're going to have more platforms, more AI, more of us including, I hate to say it, Lindsay, maybe even you, are going to be working yep. for AI. Uh, we're not going to be working for big companies. We're not going to be working directly for them. Uh, we're going to be working for uh, AI intermediaries and platforms. Uh, those intermediaries and platforms are going to be paying us a kind of spot auction rate. That is, what is our demand at the moment? Now, you might say that that's very efficient, 
but it is also extremely destabilizing in terms of our lives. I mean, how can we possibly uh, plan our lives if we are in a spot auction market in terms of what we earn? Things we take for granted, all of the labor protections of the last 120 years, everything. I mean, AI could eradicate all of them. Uh, and so you have basically the owners and investors over here and all the rest of us over here. I think this sort of answers that, but what is the biggest challenge facing workers today? It is to stay relevant and to continue to produce the content and uh, products uh, that justify uh, the wages, even though those wages have not kept up barely with productivity. It is inevitable that we are going to have to have some sort of a universal basic income for the simple reason. This is regardless whether you're on the left or the right, doesn't matter. People have got to have enough money in their pockets to buy all of the things that the new economy is capable of producing. If you've got AI and all of these platforms and you've got people who are basically no longer needed, huge numbers of people, uh, then how do you get money in their pockets to buy everything the economy is capable of producing? You, you simply can't have an economy under those circumstances. We need workers, we need consumers, we need investors. Uh, but the worker and consumer part of the economy uh, is going to be under even more stress over the next 25 years. So you bring up UBI. Inflation is sort of the other conversation topic when we talk about UBI. Inflation has been a hot topic for a while, though it's getting better slowly. Are companies partially to blame for the rise in inflation? Well, I think that they are. I mean, and this is not every company, obviously, but some of the big companies that have some monopoly power over their markets, they have been using inflation as a way of essentially justifying their price increases. And it's not just that they're passing on increasing prices, they are also taking advantage of the fact that they can increase their prices without any anti-competitive effect for them. Uh, so they are raising their profit margins. Uh, this is not disputable. I mean, even the IMF has seen this and made a report about it. We say, and the Fed has been saying, wages are a major contributor, supply chains are a major contributor. Well, all that's true. Uh, but the big X factor here has been all along, it's been big corporations that are increasing their profit margins. So will we see a recession in the next year? If you don't think so, why has the recession stalled? I am uh, it, perhaps in the minority here. I, I don't think we're going to see a recession. I think the Fed has done a fairly good job of engineering a soft landing. Uh, but the big factor that people are not talking about is we've also got a fiscal policy that is very stimulative. Uh, you know, we've got a, a an infrastructure bill, a CHIPS Act, a, a, a lot of money going into alternative energy, wind and solar, uh, and all of that money uh, and the expectation of all of that money coming to the economy, and we're talking about trillions of dollars, uh, is having a, a positive impact in terms of uh, creating a, a, a huge tailwind uh, on the economy. And that is helping us, even though the Fed continues to raise interest rates. Let's talk a little bit about what you mentioned before, wealth inequality. So why is inequality getting worse in the US? Uh, inequality is becoming worse for a number of reasons. One, because uh, we have not paid very much attention to gigantic monopolies, uh, including internet monopolies. And you know, we have uh, five big 
giant internet companies, in fact, depending upon how you measure, maybe seven, uh, they are all now over a trillion dollars in capitalization. Uh, they are not only gigantic, but they have huge power. And antitrust laws have not figured out yet. And the judges and courts dealing with antitrust are still in the 20th century, not the 21st century. So we haven't really dealt with these network effects. Uh, and we don't have very good doctrines about it, but it means that you've got a lot of concentrated income at the very, very top. We used to call them robber barons at the late 19th century, early 20th century. They are the modern incarnations of the robber barons in this second Gilded Age. And I think they are responsible directly and indirectly for a lot of the widening inequality. At the same time, you've got a lot of pressures pushing down wages. One of the biggest pressures is that labor unions are far weaker today than they've ever been, at least over the last hundred years. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, Lindsay, uh, in the 1950s, uh, about 30% of the private sector workforce was unionized, one out of three workers. And that was enough uh, to really create industry-wide bargaining in most industries, even those companies that were not unionized, uh, bought into the prevailing terms of wages and benefits because they thought, well, if we don't do this, we're gonna be unionized next. Today in the private sector, we're down to 6% of the private sector workforce unionized, which means effectively there's no real bargaining leverage. Kind of related, what has the rise of shareholder capitalism meant for the common good? Uh, shareholder capitalism uh, is good in the sense that it means more efficiency. That is every, uh, you know, the classic economics 101 view of efficiency is all of the resources get put to their highest and best uses, including people. Raiders, the corporate raiders of the 19, late 70s, early 1980s, uh, they took advantage of the fact that there were a lot of companies that were overstaffed. Uh, that were not uh, lean and mean. They had uh, a lot of extra workers. They were located in uh, in places that were inefficient. Millions of people lost their jobs, good manufacturing jobs. Unions were busted. Uh, jobs were uh, sent overseas. Uh, technology was brought in to substitute for workers. Uh, and as a result, you have a large amount of America that has been essentially denuded of good jobs. What's the consequence? Anger, frustration, the sense that the game is rigged against people, and it is, it is. Let's be clear, it is rigged because you've got uh, a lot of big corporations and a lot of very powerful people who have a lot of money able to get laws and regulations that they want and stop laws and regulations they don't want. I think historically, we're gonna look back on, on shareholder capitalism as a as a problem that was larger than the efficiencies it generated. Is it possible to grow the U.S. economy and meet our environmental goals? Oh yes, of course. Growth is necessary in order to meet our environmental goals. It's rich countries that are able uh, to be environmentally responsible because they have enough wealth that they can invest in in wind and solar and adaptation uh, mechanisms. It's the poorest countries that are having the most difficulty adjusting. Uh, so when we talk about growth, we shouldn't think about growth only in terms of things and stuff. We should think about growth as giving a society the capacity to do a lot of the things it needs to do, environmental protection, education. Growth can be very, very positive to achieve all of these social needs. 
Wrapping up last two questions here, what's the biggest threat to a company's bottom line? I've, I've worked with companies over the last 40 years um, that are very, very good companies, uh, but uh, past success makes them unwilling to change. This is any institution. It's the companies that have not succeeded in the past uh, that are most adaptable. And adaptability is the most important criteria. All right, last one. Will the U.S. remain the world's leading economy? Well, a lot of that depends on what you mean by leading economy. Uh, in terms of living standards, uh, we are uh, arguably not quite there. There are some European countries, how long people live, the lifespan, or, or how comfortably people live, uh, or how the bottom 50% by income lives. Uh, some European countries are doing better, quote unquote, uh, than the United States right now. China is certainly uh, huge and growing uh, fast. Is that a successful economy? Can you be a successful economy if you're basically totalitarian dictatorship? I don't, I don't think so. You can't, you can't be adaptable. You can't be free enough uh, to create a culture of, of entrepreneurship. It's not just how much money I have in my pocket. It's not just my job. It is not just material comforts. It is also quality of life that goes far beyond material comforts.